Hello everyone, I'm Frank. I'm Carlos. And we're back for another Shot Callers Worlds 2017 Special Edition. Today is day two. I'd say a lot of our impressions for day one were right, but then a lot changed between day one and day two. I think you would agree with that, Carlos. Yeah, so I think one interesting thing that we didn't really touch on yesterday is that the difference between day one and day two the potential differences can come down to the coaches. So one thing the analysts talked about that didn't really agree with was they talked about how <clears throat> there weren't a lot of um, differences or a lot of changes that could be made or a lot of adjustments that could be made from a, uh, for a team in game one mm -hmm. or day one and day two. Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily agree with that because I think that the coaches, it really gives them an opportunity. If you've played every team once, sure, you only get to play them one more time. But you get a general idea, especially if you watch them play two games, like what they're about and what they want to do. And uh, it, it, you really were able to see some of the coaches make some nice adjustments. Yeah, I think a big part of it, as we were talking about, and some of the answers we're talking about too, it's about playing to your own win conditions. And I feel like the, the biggest improvement was by one in that regard, where it seemed like they actually finally had a game plan and they actually went so far as to change mid laners based on that performance. So there was definitely a lot of adjustments. Um, I guess with that, <laughs> we'll um, mm -hmm. we'll jump into Cloud Nine versus One. But honestly, there's not really a whole lot to report there. Cloud Nine outplayed them across the map. One seemed kind of lost. Never really got going. I honestly can't think of anything particularly memorable about this game. I don't know if you feel differently. No, there's nothing memorable. I think I just want to touch on a couple of points you made. Uh, I don't think one looked much better today. I think there was something else very uh, impactful that happened that we're going to talk about mm -hmm. that really uh, was able to, to propel them forward. However, I do agree that we were able to see some good coaching adjustments with the uh, substitution of the mid laners. What was his name? Marf? Yeah, Marf, Marf was much the, better the than Brewster, I think was his name. Brewster, that's correct. Yeah. Um, and other than that, still not very impressed with Cloud9. I think that they are making a lot of mistakes. They're playing, they're making the same mistakes that we saw them do in NALCS insofar as Jensen just kind of and doesn't roam. And, you know, as we all know, that's one of the most frustrating experiences to have as a player. And I can't even imagine what that feels like in competitive when one guy is just so focused on their own play and themselves that they're really sacrificing the the whole map, map awareness and the teamwork as a whole. Yeah, we'll, so we'll get to their I second think, game against Dire Wolves where that was like really, really magnified. I agree. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I would still be concerned if I were a Cloud9 fan. I don't think they look much better today. Yeah. Um, Team Lee versus Leon was the game that we really thought uh, were they you know they should be on upset alert, um, and from the beginning it looked like they might have actually found something to let them win that game. Um, Team Wee picked Ezreal like a lot of Chinese teams do. Um, I think both of us were a little surprised that it took two days before we saw an Ezreal jungle because it's been all over solo queue and all over China and sometimes even in other regions. Um, but then Leon responded with Kha'Zix, and I, I remember when we were watching the game, you actually particularly liked the Kha'Zix. Did you want to explain why you thought that was a really good pick? 
Yeah, because Ezreal, it does a lot of damage. He's a he's a high damage champ, but he's also kind of a cheese champ, and he's very squishy. And so he's super vulnerable. So with Kha'Zix, right, you get the isolation, and he could just one-hit kill uh, Ezreal at will. And it really was evident in the game, because the uh, jungler Kandi, his map movement was really hindered after he tried to invade at level 2, and it failed. Like go into the enemy jungle anymore. He tried to to gank bot lane. It was like a disaster. He almost got like one shot, you know. So mm-hmm. I just really like the idea of the Kha'Zix pick early game. What was interesting is Audi. I don't think any of us or either of us are particularly impressed with him. So it was curious for me to hear the analysts uh, praise him in particular. Yeah, that was, uh, on so day one. I would say so. I think it was like. It seemed like it was almost two different players. The early game, he played really well, and he was making Kandi's yeah. life hell. Like, he was searching through him through the jungle, and every time he found him, like, either Kandi would have to just, like, run away and get, like, pushed out of his own jungle, or he would kill him or blow his flash or whatever. So, like, that was really good. He was really making it hard for Kandi. But then in the mid-game, he did actually nothing. Um, there was there was one fight in particular around Dragon where he got cut off by Celia ult wall. And instead of like jumping over or trying to free up their mid laner, Oriana, who was constantly getting zoned in every fight, Adi ran all the way around the blue buff. And then by the time he even got back to the dragon fight, the fight was already over. They had already lost. And it seemed like almost every single fight, the same thing happened. Adi would be trying to do this huge flank and he would just never have any impact on the fight, and the fight would be over by the time he got there. As a side note, it was probably for the best that he didn't try to E over that wall because I saw him several times fail his jumps, just like in the jungle itself. So yeah, I saw he, that probably was, he probably wasn't even confident that he'd be able to make it. Uh, one, thing, one, one thing that... One choice that he made that I thought was good, and maybe I think in retrospect maybe wasn't, was that he went Sightstone. So I actually really love the idea of him going Red Smite because Ezreal does a shitload of damage, so it mitigates all of that. And you could see that it was, again, it was really evident because Kandi has really strong power spikes in the jungle, especially mm-hmm. early on after Warrior. And uh, he the, the Ezreal was so useless that he was ulting... The, the jungle camps. Yeah. And the, so the red spike had a huge difference. The one thing that he did that I wasn't a huge fan of was he went Sightstone. I, I thought it was a good idea at first. And, you know, we talked with some friends and they kind of talked us out of that. And I was like, okay. Yeah. You know what? In retrospect, I think you're right. He should have just gone all damage. Uh, but that's sort of a, a divergence. Uh, yeah, because so the, your, I... your bigger point, okay. your bigger point was that he had shitty positioning. Yeah. You're right. It was... I saw what he was trying to do, but it, that shit works in solo queue. It doesn't work in pro play where you just sort of hiding behind the team, waiting for someone to sort of roam on their own. Yeah. It just, it's not going to work in pro play. So you just got to – you have to be there with the Siege to help to help the team. Yeah, that's kind of the play that I would do playing Master Yi in solo queue or something. Like, that's not really yeah. – you can't just wait for the fight to almost be over and then come in and kill everyone. That doesn't work in pro play. Um, but having said that – that was another reason I did like the Red Smite, because while he was dominating early game, Kha'Zix always inevitably fall out because in team fights they just they just get focused and killed. 
and Red Smite would help that a little bit um, because it would help the damage mitigation yeah. from either Ezreal or whoever he decided to smite with it. So I thought that was good. But at the same time, like, yeah, sinking 800 into an item that isn't going to help you really increase your lead that much, um, not great. And simultaneously, he had his Sightstone before his support had the Sightstone. I, I don't know. It just seemed like they were emphasizing the wrong things at the wrong time. Um, and a lot yeah. of the, a lot of the mechanical prowess we saw um, on the first day, like they were still okay, but um, Oriana was almost completely useless because she was just getting so zoned by Maokai every single fight, and it doesn't seem like the team ever really responded to that. He was getting some really good shockwaves, but there just wasn't any follow-up because either the fight had broken down by that point, or like there was no position for anyone to follow up because they were getting zoned by the tank line. It just it was seemed really difficult and we did a lot of things to shut down what Lion was trying to do, like the hard engage with Rakan, Galio, and Shockwave. Yeah, I think uh, I think everything you said I agree with. A couple of final points. Uh, Team WE, um, Frost Gurren in particular, she thinks she's still pretty impressed, and it seems like a lot of people are still pretty high in WE, and her logic was that um, they're going to play the same way whether it's against Lion or, or SKT. But I just don't think they look very good. And it was something that you said yesterday, just like waiting for 30 minutes and praying that the other team screws up. I mean, that's not a strategy. Yeah. So I'd still be very concerned if I were WE fans. I don't think they look good. Um, and the, the last thing I'll say about this game, I don't know if you want to say anything else, but the last yeah. thing I'll say about this game is uh, White Lotus did not look very good on Zaya. And so I think we're starting to see, and this is, I think this is a bigger point need to remember, is if you have limited champ pools that you can play at an elite level, just stick with those champs. Mm -hmm. His uh, his Tristana and his um, Kogmaw. Yeah, Kogmaw, yeah. He played Kalista too? I can't remember now. Yeah, he got the Pentakill. Yeah, yeah. Um, which was later. Uh, but those those three champs, they're probably three of the four strongest champs anyways. They're probably three of the four champs we're only going to see at, at AD. Um, you know, you might see a random you know, other champ here and there. I think we saw an Ash a couple times. But anyways, uh, those champs are perfectly fine. So if I were them, I'd stick with those. I think another thing that we talked about um, was that the support... He, uh, he his Brom was really good, and he played his Recon early game was pretty good also. But the best engages after you know after the the laning phase. So yeah, really all I want to say like basically, if you have a limited champ pool or a limited team, just stick with the champs you can play. Yeah, I agree. Um, so the next game was Cloud Nine versus Direwolves and. I would say the sneaky in lane meme was in full effect this game. He started off 0-4, and, and that, quite frankly, that bot lane got completely fucked repeatedly over and over and over again um, with Shenfire. I can't pronounce his name. I can't remember yeah, his name. Yeah, Shenfire. Shenfire was just camping them nonstop. As soon as he got the flash, he didn't even do a jungle camp, just ran back down there and camped them over and over again. And I think this plays into a lot of what you were talking about, of the fact that just Jensen never, ever, ever leaves his lane. 
and yeah. maybe maybe he couldn't turn around all of these ganks, but his bot lane was getting completely taken out of the game while he just sat there farming mid. Um, and it should have cost Cloud9 the game. Um, I remember you and I were sitting there, and I think it was your comment, you said that Direwolves are going to have to make like an epic throw to lose this game, and you were saying it would take at least like three teamfight throws. Um, and then after getting that massive lead, they managed to do at least three throws and they ended up losing. Yeah, um, a couple of points. I mean, I think everything you said is right. I think I agree with those. A couple of points. Analysts at the at the desk, again, all three of them at the pregame desk, they were really high on contracts and his play the day before. And this was something that you and I warned uh, everyone about yesterday's podcast that don't get sucked in by like the sexy numbers and the high damage numbers and you know the number of kills that he got on Italy. That hadn't been fed to him. And so everyone was really expecting contracts to have a big game and he picked Ezreal. This was another Ezreal game. So everyone was like, okay, like he's gonna do insane damage. And really, he struggled a lot. This is uh this is an interesting thing about the Ezreal jungle, right? He has no CC in solo queue, and it turns out that Ezreal won all his games in the jungle today, but that was that had nothing to do with the actual pickets. Yeah, I remember that there was the the when he, he mm-hmm. did his red buff and, you know, we're thinking he's just going to go mid and get the mid laners flash, but no, instead he did the chickens, got chunked to half, went, did his blue, did gromp, and then didn't really do anything. Like, the most notably, notable things he did in that game was constantly miss his cues in team fights, um, and then he, <laughs> like, flash past the enemies to try to get a kill on the Jarvan and almost got, and like, no, he did get himself killed, that's right. By his Sejuani yeah, son. So even yeah. though he had the top damage in that game, that was largely because Sneaky spent the first half of the game dead. Jensen was just sitting AFK farming, and then everyone else was tanks. So, like... That's right. So, I mean, yeah, once again, he so, had the sexy damage numbers, but I, I think that he made a lot of mistakes that game, both positionally and just execution-wise. Yeah, so I don't want to talk about this game so much anymore, but there's a bigger uh, topic that this game really highlighted and was evident the rest of the day. It had an impact on the rest of the day. Uh, And that's the issue with mentality and psychology, right? So basically what happened is this, uh, these, or they've been trying to like pick a fight, like, you know, not a real physical fight, but like, you know, they've been trying to get the attention of C9 players and it, it's basically they've been calling them out, saying they're better than them, they're going to beat them, all this stuff. And they basically got bitch slapped, right? Like, they just got super punked out by Impact yep. in Lobby and utterly dismissed. And they threw this game, and they were just they, – they toastered. Yeah. They toastered the rest of the day. So this is exactly – so the moment – the moment that I heard that impacted the please stop meme, I was like, okay, these guys are done. Like, they're going to lose the rest of their games today. Yeah. And, you know, there was that really awkward handshake after the game where you could tell Impact was just visibly annoyed with these guys and yeah, BM'd them, justifiably BM'd them and disrespected them and just sort of, like, gave them short handshakes, like, barely looked at them. Mm-hmm. And you believe strongly that uh, mentality is an athletic ability 
and it's not really talked about enough. So what ends up happening, and this is and this is something we're going to touch on again for the deck, their uh, direwolves next two games, is you could just tell that they were full toaster. I mean, toastering is beyond tilt. It wasn't just tilt; like they were just all gone. Yeah, that's basically the Playing. point where you just there's nothing there. You're on complete autopilot, just doing, just attacking whatever's in front of you and not thinking about anything, which is exactly what was happening. Yeah. To them. Yeah, and so um, we're going to touch on this, and we're going to talk about this idea a lot more and the importance of mentality throughout the game because one thing I thought the analysts at the desk did a really poor job of was talking about uh, the issue of you know tilt, toastering, whatever you want to call it, and how that was going to affect them the rest of the day. Yeah, all right. We will definitely get to that when we sure. talk about yeah. the last two uh, Direwolves games. Um, for now, like... Let's kind of go through these other ones relatively quickly because the games didn't matter that much. But um, Leon versus Gambit, it was just Leon kind of needed to show that they were better than them. Um, and, like, they, like, Jeral once again, like, proved that he was pretty good. He was abusing Stehos' top again, and, like, Stehos was massively under underplaying And I think in this game, a big thing that I took away from it was that Seiya actually was was played pretty well and white lotus kind of redeemed himself from the last game um and after watching this um i, I really did think that leon is probably a, like not an amazing team but a very solid team because a lot of the weaknesses that they showed in the previous game versus team w i think they actually kind of showed them up in this game against gambit not that gambit was a whole lot of competition Reed, i think the one the uh couple of notes Kira again struggled. His he was getting out roamed uh, a lot, which I guess isn't super surprising because he's against a Galio. Mm-hmm. He missed he missed some key ults and some key moments. Very low impact on the game. Wasn't really uh, hitting a lot of his skill shots. So really poor effort. I'm sure uh, he'll be really disappointed with how he did. Yeah, there, uh, was, Steos. Um, there was one Cassiopeia ult he did next to Blue Buff where he just like did it the wrong direction and completely whiffed. I remember that one. Yeah. Yeah, he just, like, he just missed everyone. Um, Steos, I was actually really impressed with him last year in his jungle play, the his top lane play uh, this year. So I'm not sure if that's going to be something that continues. Um, and I guess the last thing I'll say is we see why the Kalista gets banned up for, against Leon. Yeah. That uh, thirty-second nerf on the old um, was not the solution, I imagine. But yeah, uh, they just gave him a pentakill because they were so far ahead. And like White Lotus, I wouldn't want to say he's been carrying the team because there's been multiple players on the team playing pretty well. But he has been instrumental to their success so far. So um, good on him for getting that. One last thing for me. One last last thing mm-hmm. is uh. I, I really hope that support can play something other than Braum. His Braum is spectacular. There was a noticeable difference in quality of play when he plays other, uh, when he played. Rick. Yeah, we I think in the best of five he will have Braum banned Braum banned every game until he proves he can play something else, um, which is dangerous. Um, so then we have what was really kind of the beginning of the end well really the the cloud nine was game was the beginning of the end but this is as this game as one versus dire wolves went on 
I was like, if Direwolves lose this game, they are losing the tiebreaker 100%, because mentally they got completely taken out of the game. Um, I think it started off great for them when they did that, like, really cheeky first blood, and then, like, after that, it didn't really seem like they were the same team that they were on day one. Um, Destiny was missing all of his Dark Bindings in this game, he wasn't black shielding his targets, when they needed to against like Sejuani ults and stuff um every time that they would take an objective they would lose something else um and then the mid laner on Corky was just I don't know what he was doing like he like Fantics packaged in and then like Valkyried further in and then just died and I, I don't really understand what he was trying to do there um it was just ugly everywhere. Yeah, um, I mean, I don't really have a lot to say about the play or anything that happened. I thought they both made a lot of mistakes. There was a lot of mistakes. Um, but, you know, when we were chatting about the game while it was happening, at no point whatsoever did I think one was going to lose. Like, even before the game, I was like, Die Wolves are done. Like They're going to lose this game. And... Um, like you said, they played pretty well. They got like a 3,000 gold lead. I think even at one point it was like 4,000. But you could still see they were doing dumb things here and there. They would get caught in random places. Um, someone would be, uh, you know, out too far with not enough vision. Um, you know, so... And that happened for both teams, too. Like, I was noticing yeah, both was these say. one versus Direwolves games, people just got randomly caught all the time. Like, it was a total fiesta. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It was both teams. So I personally don't think one played any better. I just, I, one, they're not. They're a bad team. They're not very skilled. It looks like they don't have any concept of macro. Pretty bad rotations. Pretty poor execution of um, team fight plays. You know, they try to do some tower dives. They were fucking terrible. Um, and so... I don't think they played any better. I don't know if that's like if that was the narrative um, that that was trying to be developed in game two. I just think Dire Wolves were completely fucking toasted. Yeah, what was what the the thing they just gave up their inhibitor for no reason? At, and I was like, what what are they doing? Like, I don't understand what that play was. And then they did it again in the tiebreak, which we'll get to. But it was like they lost <laughs> Dude, the all tie, concept yeah. of strategy. It, they, they were just toasted. I mean, this is why mentality like mental acuity that should be considered an athletic feat it's like an it's an athletic ability because like those guys were so fucking done they just like they could not do anything it was clear that they had lost what they had practiced or whatever their coach told them to do i mean they, they were just fucking toaster yeah. So, all right. So that's really all I have to say about that game. Let's briefly go to the Wii Gambit game before we go to the tiebreaker. But like the first few minutes, like the first five minutes of that game, were really entertaining. It was just total clown fiesta. People getting kills everywhere. The new new Kogma just killing the bot lane, and then the rails came off, and we had Kira getting solo killed like every two minutes for the entire game, and just really bad engages everywhere like I, my notes for this game as we're like going this is just like timestamps with the word fiesta because it was just like gambit trying to do really off like the stuff that would never ever in a million years work and then like world elite realized hey it's 20 minutes they haven't surrendered let's go end the game and ended it at like 20 minutes like 
I, I, I can't even take anything away from that. Uh, literally have nothing to say about this. Um, <laughs> I don't have time for the... I don't have time... I mean, the only thing I guess I do have something to say... I don't have bullshit for time like this. Like, like I don't have time for bullshit like this because everyone's like, oh, haha, funny, they're trolling, blah, blah. You know, don't waste my fucking time with this. Like, if you're going to do that, then, like, do it on stream. Like, you know, yeah. I, I come watch competitive play. When I want to watch memes and, me, uh, you know, trolling and all that, I'll watch a fucking stream. Yeah, it, it, was, it, was, it was entertaining for, like, five minutes, and then I was like, all right, let's just get out of here um so we get to the last game um the the biggest notable thing about the champions was aurelian soul and it should have been really clear what one was gonna do is they were gonna roam bot lane again like they had done the previous match and direwolves were just woefully unprepared um direwolves kind of gave up the whole map and even when they got objectives they would either lose towers or they would lose people once again, people got caught on both sides over and over again. But really, none of this matters until like 27 minutes into the game. They decided to double TP to Baron and just let Fiora take their inhibitor. And then Fiora channeled her teleport like she was thinking about going to the Baron and then realized, wait, I can just end the game. Like, I, I had no idea what that was all about. Please, can you help me make sense of what was going on? Was it, was it Fiora or Camille? I, I oh, can't it was, remember. Maybe it was Camille. I can't actually remember. but I think it was Camille. Yeah, it was Camille. I remember it was Camille. Like... You're right, you're right. It was yeah, Camille. he built like... He randomly built Tinky. Anyways, um, no thoughts about this game. I already knew, like you said, we, we all knew that Direwolves were going to win. So one another thing I want to talk about is... The analysts, I think they're pretty poor. The analysts that are on stream, that are on Riot, I think Mark Z doesn't really understand. Like, they're super formulaic. And so it was really evident here because what happened after the game, you probably think this is a random tirade, but it isn't. After the game, they, again, talked nothing about Direwolves being tilt, and they started freaking out about the pick ban. And Froskern did this, too. She's like, oh, I hated this pin pick ban. I hate these team comps. Blah blah blah. What's Direwolves doing? How you know? How are they going? Why did they pick this team? So, this is my response. What are you gonna fucking do if you're a team? You play. You know, you're at Worlds. You're scrimming against other Worlds teams, and everyone ostensibly picks about like what? Let's take a, a you know the same four or five champs in each lane. Mm-hmm. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah, generally speaking. And then speaking. you get Aurelian Soul. Well, out, out of nowhere, right? Yeah. Who plays against Aurelian? And I'm like, you know, some NA teams do kind of because of who he. Yeah. But seriously, fucking Aurelian Soul. How can you build a comp to shut that down when you don't even like, you're not used to it, right? It's a totally different play style. So, like, even something you said that I would kind of disagree with is, like, you're like, oh, you know what they're going to do. You know that he's going to roam. You know he's going to do that. Like, yeah, I mean, that's what the champ does. But you know what things are going to happen, but to experience it is very different, right? Because you – memory. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. So if You're I like, was okay. if I was Shurnfire this game, how what I would do is I would spend almost all my time in the bottom half of the map, and I would never actually try to initiate ganks. I would just try to be there to counter gank because it was two games in a row where Marf and Forlan were just like trying to camp bot lane, right? Like, yeah. And, and I know that, like, again. And, but I, I do think that I agree with you about that because they don't really have a lot of preparation. And also, by this point, their mental game was completely gone. They clearly were, clearly were not thinking about that. And also, on the surface, like, that team comp is fine. That's a really, really good team fight comp. You have Tarek, Gragas, and Rumble, like, and with a Kalista. Like, what else could you really want in team fights? Like, the Corky doesn't fit exactly there. But apart from that, like to me, that seems like a really good team fight comp if that's what you want to do, right? Like... Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think it's just really lazy and formulaic analysis that's done uh, over by by the analysts all the time. Like you literally know what they're going to talk about after every game is going to be the draft, whether they liked it, the pick ban, whether they liked the comps, and whether there was one or two big plays. Yeah. When, when there's something like this, when it's like just a bunch of stuff up for grabs, you can't criticize it. And like you said, it was a perfectly fine team comp. So uh, uh, again, I want to touch on something that that you said. You mentioned that if you were sure and fire, you would have like stayed bot or something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe, but you said that Aurelian Soul roamed bot at 4.30. So tell me, in all seriousness, even in our our games, in our experience, much less like when we watch competitive, mm-hmm. how different five minutes in League of Legends ever in bot lane? Like, how much variance is there ever first five minutes? It's like literally almost always the same thing. Yeah. So, in your mind, that Aurelian Soul is gonna like push base and come bot, right? Like you know it. You're like, okay, he's gonna do this. He's, this is what he's gonna do. He's gonna do. He's, he's gonna do this. But you're just so used to playing in a certain way that like when it happens, you, you just can't be prepared for it. So like, I just don't know how you can criticize this team comp or how someone plays when you're thrown a curveball and. I don't think it was cheese. It's just a totally different way. Like this, this was clearly um, one's pocket pick, the the mid laner, mm-hmm. uh, Marf. This was pocket pick, and you know, I, I just there was a lot of um, there was a lot of over analysis on the team dress and team comps and criticism that justified, and it was really just a matter of the fact that direwolves were toaster. <laughs> evidence by like what you're talking about yeah i I do think the the biggest indicator was just them randomly tping to baron so what obviously i i didn't watch the analysis for this game but to me that would almost be my entire focal point because that just kind of goes to their mindset there's no universe in which that play wins even if they manage to get baron and then kill most members of one there they're still going to lose basically their entire base. So there's no universe in which that's the correct play, right? Like, there's no way that will ever work. Um, No, there there is. It was just, like, it was just super... 
it was desperate. I mean, it just re- like if they didn't ex- if uh, if one didn't expect it, you kill the Baron in like you know fifteen seconds in base in four seconds, then you probably maybe you lose an inhibitor, but that might be. I mean, it, it's a reach. You're right, but there is a world where you can. Like, I just feel like, I feel like there is enough vision that one has that they're going to see you do this anyway, and they were even yes. near the, the wards that you were TPing on, so they know that you're doing this. Yeah. And then, and then like, they were, they if, were t- if one really wanted to force the issue, like you said, the Camille started a TP, and I bet the team was just shouting at him, no, cancel it, like, there's no reason. Yeah. They don't need to fight them there. Um, I, I just... Just, they were just toastered, whatever, good riddance. Um, so the team... there's nothing I hate more. Uh, the, this will be like, and this is just a general point. Yeah. There's nothing I hate more than when trash teams talk trash. Like it's just so fucking annoying to me. So I, I, say... I love trash talk. Mm-hmm. I love trash talk. I think it's great. I think the game needs more of it. But fucking back it up. Like don't don't be just utter trash and then. I would say that the direwolves was totally different the first day from the second day, and to hit on more about what we were talking about is that's like the danger when you play half your games on one day if you have one game go bad where you get super tilted you're going to be tilted for all the rest of the games and we see this like every single world championship there's a team that like has a super close match and then they just play the rest of their games really horribly like think back to like the 2014 omg Fnatic game where they lost like a two-hour game like how are you ever going to be ready to play again after that (laughs) Like, you're totally yeah. done. There's no way. And it's the same thing yeah. here. Like, Direwolves were destroying Cloud9. And then they just got... They went from having complete control of the game to losing in, like, six minutes. There's no way you're ever coming back from that mentally. Like, at that point, you're totally checked out. Um, and I, I really think that almost... Yeah, you can analyze the gameplay. And sure, there's lots of gameplay mistakes. But there's, like... They they're almost never winning that game anyway, unless one absolutely handed to them. And like they're still, mm-hmm. even though they're a team from Brazil, they're still a professional team. Like they're not just gonna like ff and hand it to you because that. I mean, I think Direwolves like Direwolves day one versus one day two. Direwolves was still the better team, but like not by much, and their mental state was completely gone. So. Um, yep. After after today slash last night, I'm not happy with either of those teams making it out, and I I don't have a a whole lot to look forward to for the knockout stages from from these four. Tonight's games, who's on upset alert? Uh, probably Fenerbahce. I could see Fenerbahce going zero and two. Um, just because I don't even know if that's considered an upset, but I mean, I you know, they H- lost their jungler. I think HKA is considered the favorite in that matchup, but I do think Fenerbahce would be favored against Rampage. Yeah, they're they're on super. They're, there's a strong chance they go zero and four, because uh, you know, as as you probably heard, their jungler didn't get the visa, so they have like some emergency coming in. From another co- completely other team. It's not even like they're, if they had a normal jungle sub, it's oh, crash. that's from... rough, yeah. I mean, Turkey does have these issues. We'll see. So I would say that Fenerbahce is on upset alert. Um, and then the rest, we'll have to wait and see. All right. 
We'll check in with you guys again tomorrow, let you know what you think about our analysis, the analysis of the caster desk, if you've ever gone toaster in a solo queue game. Um, but uh, as for today, that's all we've got. I'm Frank. I'm Carlos. Thanks a lot. And this has been Shot Caller. See you guys tomorrow.